Did you know that, that Jesus, uh, that's not the only name that he has? In fact, if you really want to get technical about it, uh, they didn't call him Jesus the way we call him today. It was Yeshua. But that's not the only name that he has. In fact, if you look through the scriptures, you see where there are different names of God that we can apply to our context in every situation that we go through and understand that Jesus meets every single need according to the name that was given to him. And names are important, wouldn't you say? How many of you have children? How many of you had a hard time naming your child? Did you obey the rules when you were naming your child? Did you know there was rules? Like the first rule is you can't name your kid after anyone that you or your spouse ever dated. It's just kind of a rule. You can't name your child a name that your in-laws have history with in some bad way. You can't name your kid after anybody that you think is a nut job. <laughs> Some of you are like, do I know any of those? Here's, here's a big rule. You, you can't name your kid that when you put that name and their last name together, it's a phrase. I, I heard of some crazy ones recently. You probably have too, but recently, true, I heard of somebody named Kitty Katz. K-A-T-Z. It's true. Um, I heard of somebody that spelled their, their daughter's name I-M-A. Kind of sounds like Ima. Last name was Hussey. Should have thought that one through. Just saying. Uh, this, is, this is really true. James Hogg of Texas was a governor back in, I think, uh, the 1800s. Um, at least was born then. Spelled his daughter's name I-M-A. So it ended up being I'm a hog. <laughs> Should have thought that one through. That's all I'm saying. Names are important. Did you know that Bible names have significance? And the names of Jesus that were given to Jesus, um, they weren't just for us to know. They were to show us the significance of him meeting our needs in his place in our lives. And if we look at the names of God, we're not going to look at all of them, but I do want to kind of zero in on one. As we get close to the Christmas season, I I think it's important to remind ourselves that, hey, his name isn't just Jesus or Jesus Christ. That is who he is. He is our Messiah, the Christ. But he also has names that were given to him, breathed by God, to be able to give us a clearer understanding that he is able to meet every need we have in the context that we have it. Somebody say amen. We don't just serve a cookie cutter to one specific thing, Jesus. Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, he was writing to Israel. Now, he was writing to Israel during a time they call the Dark Ages. And that was, uh, it was just before Israel went into captivity, and it was before Jesus Christ. And this is a time when God didn't say anything to them. They didn't hear from God. They were wanting to hear from God. They heard of the prophecies before that there would be a Messiah, a a king. But they didn't hear anything from God during this time. And so Isaiah writes through the inspiration of God in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. You probably remember the scripture. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And that line was actually prophetic for something that hasn't even happened yet, when he will physically come here and establish his kingdom right here on earth. You find that in the book of Revelation. But he says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
These are names that were given to Jesus prophetically 600 years before Jesus was even born. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And these aren't just names for us to read or to put on a sign or to hang something up in our bedroom or our living room or our hallways. These are names given to God so that we can begin to get a little bit more understanding that, hey, he's not just Jesus that saves us from our sins from just a general standpoint. He's a God that knows you intricately and knows every situation you go through. And, and maybe you're here today and you're fighting a battle and you need a mighty God. You need to understand that it's not just some far off God, but he's a mighty God that fights for me. That's his name. That's who he is to you specifically. Maybe you're here today and anxiety seems to be overwhelming you. you. You serve a God that doesn't just give peace and minister peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You serve a God today who is also your wonderful counselor. Because we are human beings. That means we breathe air on this earth and we're not perfect and we have problems. And we go through things in life that we need someone to counsel us. Today I want to focus on that name, Wonderful Counselor. If you look at the Hebrew, there's actually two words, and it, the wonderful, what word we get in English, actually means that it's, it's beyond understanding and it's too good for words. Counselor means to guide, to, to counsel. It literally means that, to advise, consult. But he's saying one day, Isaiah, a son is going to come, and his name is going to be Wonderful Counselor. Your guide that is so good, words can't even begin to describe him. And so we think about what's different from him versus another counselor that I go to or somebody else on this earth. Other counselors are good, but there's two reasons why he's deserving and worthy to be called our wonderful counselor, our, our counselor that's, uh, that's too good that words can't even describe him. And the first one is this, he understands us. These are his credentials for us, him to be our wonderful counselor. He understands you on a level that you don't even understand yourself. That's, that's important. He knows everything you go through, and so the result is that he can be your wonderful counselor like no one else. How good is it to go to somebody and to receive counsel from somebody when they truly understand where you're at? I mean, they, they understand to the heart of it where you are. You, you want to be known, and you want to be understood. And that's what Jesus is. He, he gets it. I love how Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews describes it when he says this in chapter 4, verse 15. For our high priest, he's talking about Jesus, he's able to understand our weaknesses. He's God, but he understands our weaknesses. When he lived on earth, he was tempted in every way that we are, but yet he didn't sin. Our Savior, he, he's literally been through every feeling and every temptation that you have ever been through. He understands He's experienced life just like you have, and he overcame it all, get this, without failing once. He's, he's the part of the Godhead that looks at you in your failure and looks at you in your struggle and says, I get that. I, I understand where you're coming from. And so when you begin to think about Jesus Christ, it's not just a lofty God afar off. He is a God, a, a wonderful counselor that looks at you and truly gets you. He understands Look at verse 16. What should we do with that? It says, let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there's grace. And there we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Somebody shout amen to that. Oh, man, gr grace and mercy, not just from somebody who's just throwing it on the floor for us to get, but from a, a God that looks at you and says, I, I get you. I understand you. I understand 
he understands us. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth, he he kind of made history by hanging out with some people that the religious crowd didn't deem was worthy to be hung out with. It was this one guy named Levi who was a tax collector, and back in those days, that would have said, I'm a crook. I mean, this is just the way the culture was because they would take people's money, um, not just what they needed for the government, but they would kind of amp it up and take some for themselves. And so they were looked at as crooks. Jesus walks up to Levi one day and just says, follow me. And Levi's so excited, he leaves his tax booth, uh, and he follows him, and he throws a party for Jesus. But he doesn't have any friends that are holy and righteous because he's a tax collector. He lived the life. So he just invited a bunch of his tax collector friends and sinners to this party. Well, Jesus shows up. And the religious crowd are looking at him like, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus is like, get over yourself. I don't know if he said that exactly, but he's something similar to that. Uh, but listen to what he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. And so we see right there that Jesus gets it. He understands people that are imperfect, and he understands you. He's our wonderful counselor because he understands us. He has a counselor's heart. Second, the reason why he's worthy to be called our wonderful counselor is because he knows the mind of God. I love this. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? You ever had somebody come up to you and try to tell you how you felt? I, I've been guilty of that. You can't know. Not really what's in the inside of a person. Only you know that, and God knows it. And he says, just like that, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who better to understand and counsel you in godly ways than the one who knows the mind of God? I mean, get that for a minute. Jesus, he, he knows the plans that God the Father has for you, and he's saying, I've come to guide you in those plans. That's, that's so important. If you think about a tour guide, you ever go on a tour, and you look at the tour guide, and the tour guide's taking you on the tour? What would it be like if the tour guide, you begin to ask this person questions, and they were like, you know, I don't really know. Actually, this is the first time I've been on this, and we're going to learn some things together. And you're like, why did I pay money for this? You know, the best tour guides have actually been where they're trying to lead you to go. Easy concept to understand. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I know the plans that God the Father has for you. Toured the mind of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit has come to lead you. And so why is he our wonderful counselor? What gives him the credentials and the worthiness to be our wonderful counselor, too good for words? Well, he understands you like nobody else, and he knows the mind of God. So what's the, what, what do we do with that? Well, the question becomes this, what do we need to do to make his counsel beneficial to us? And the answer is simply this. We have to be willing to get close enough to speak, to listen, and to trust. I don't want you to miss the first part of that. You have to be willing to get close to him. Any counseling appointment is useless if you don't actually go and get close in proximity to the counselor. I mean, you can't drive by the counselor's office and say, well, I don't know what they said. Well, you didn't go, right? It's only useful whenever you actually go and get close, and it's the same with God. You you get rid of distractions. You You draw near to him because the proximity... To God determines your ability to be able to speak 
and to listen and to trust. So you've got to get close. And I, I want to emphasize that for a moment, but I'm going to move on. But I just want you to understand that, that you don't get the benefit of counsel from God unless you actually get close enough that you can speak, listen, and trust. So let's, let's talk about him. So he, he's our wonderful counselor, and we've got to get close enough to him to do those things. But let's, let's talk about those things. Let's talk about getting close enough to him to speak because we want the counsel to be beneficial. In any counseling session you go to, uh, two-way communication has got to be honest. So first, you've got to be this. You've got to be brutally honest in speaking with the wonderful counselor. As you speak, honesty is key. Get this, not for him, <laughs> for you. It's, it's extremely crucial in order to get the benefit from the counsel of the wonderful counselor when you speak to him to be brutally honest, not that he needs to hear it because he already knows. Remember, he understands you, and he knows the plans for you. You need to be brutally honest with God because nothing stunts your ability to move forward more than denial of where you really are. Whether that be your own fault or maybe somebody else did something to you and you're hurt and you're stuck and you're, you're starting to get bitter, whatever it is, nothing will impede you from moving forward in the plans that God has for you more than to live in denial about where you are and never bring it up before God the Father who wants to counsel you onto a path of healing. In John chapter 4, Jesus is walking through the countryside, and he stops at this well. And this woman comes up, and she's there with him, and she, her, her history is kind of skewed. She, she's had five different husbands, and the woman that she's current, man, excuse me, that he's cur she's currently living with, yeah, I had to correct that, isn't one of the husbands. And so she's there with Jesus, and Jesus does what any counselor would do. He starts asking questions. He begins to ask questions to her to kind of put her in the place of whether she's going to deny where her life really is or whether she's going to be brutally honest. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, go call your husband to come back. Go call him. And, and she has this moment where she has a decision to make. Is she going to be honest about what's going on in her life or is she going to dodge the issue? And, and I think Jesus will always get us to a place where he's asking us questions. Because questions are the place that when we get quiet enough, we begin to have a reality check about where we really are. You know, and, and sometimes we just, it's that moment where we put that Band-Aid over the wound or the Band-Aid over the, the insecurity or the Band-Aid over the fault. We just don't want to talk about it. And we just, we decide to go on with our Christian lives. I don't think it's a matter of salvation. I think it's a matter of your growth in God and your ability to receive counsel from him and heal. And he gets us to a place where we have to answer that question and look at ourselves in the mirror and have some self-evaluation. And it's in that moment where you have to decide for yourself to really benefit from the counsel of the wonderful counselor, am I really going to be honest? Again, he already knows, but am I going to be honest with myself? And Jesus' primary goal is to get you to a place where he can have those questions going in your mind where you can actually come to the place where you have to decide, am I going to deal with this? Or am I going to live another day in denial? This woman at the well decided to go for it, and she said, I have no husband. And then Jesus said this, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you've just said is, is quite true. And, and we're like, dang, Jesus, could you have said it any more subtly than that? 
You know, it's, it's, it's not that he was trying to condemn her or shove it down her throat. He was trying to get her to that place where, you know what, we're going to deal with this. And, and we're going to get honest about where we are. And the love has, is the only thing that comes from Jesus Christ. He loved you so much that he died for you. And he's, he's still here as your wonderful counselor. And any good counselor is not going to sit in a counseling room and let somebody just dodge the issue. They are going to get to the heart of the matter, even sometimes when it hurts, and give a person the option and the opportunity to be able to deal with what's really going on. And Jesus wants to do that for you. He wants to deal with that hurt that you've been avoiding or pushing back. He, he wants to deal with that pain. He, he wants to deal with that sin that keeps coming around in secular motion. And you thought it was done, but it's still there. And he wants you to really take a good look, not on the surface, but he wants to get down deep. And ask you questions, and it's, it's not for him. It's not so you can prove how good you are. It's because you only have the opportunity to move forward in healing when you're honest about where you are. And her honesty here, this woman, this, her honesty, that's what made the conversation to, able to be continued. In fact, when, when she got honest, the conversation went on, and Jesus said, you know, I, I'm really what you need. I am the only one that can satisfy you. And it eventually got to the point where her spiritual healing took place. And then the whole town, their spiritual healings took place. It, it would have never happened, I, I don't think, if she hadn't have been brutally honest with the, with the wonderful counselor right there in front of her. And I just got to say, God knows the plans for you past this hurt. There, there are, your healing is on the other side of this. Sometimes it's, it's the healing of, of the other people around you that are on, is on the other side of this, you being brutally honest. The, the gentleman that got baptized this morning, Justin, uh, I didn't tell this part of his story, but after he was brutally honest with himself and gave his life to Jesus Christ, he started watching other family members around him do the exact same thing. There's healing on the other side of this honesty. But before we can do anything else, before we can benefit from the counsel of the wonderful counselor, you got to find yourself speaking to him, getting close enough to him to be brutally honest with what's really going on in your life and watch him walk you forward. Second thing we got to do is listen to the counselor's voice. Say listen. Did you know that listening is God's priority for us when it comes to Jesus, the wonderful counselor? One day, Jesus took three of his disciples. This was kind of the, the inner group of the 12, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them to this mountain. And, and, you know, the disciples, they weren't always getting it right. But these three went with Jesus, and Jesus was transformed. He was transfigured. The, the, it's the same word we get metamorphosis from, right before their eyes. And the Bible says that his clothes became white and shiny. And just, just imagine the biggest LED light you ever saw just blazing in your eyes, you know. And, and all of a sudden, there appeared with him Elijah and Moses. And they're, they're talking with Jesus. And the disciples, I mean, they get excited. The hair on the back of their neck is standing up. And they're watching this thing happen. And all of a sudden, a cloud envelops them. The, the three, Jesus and Elijah and Moses and the disciples are standing there, the three. And this booming voice comes out of the cloud. And it's God the Father, and this is what he says. He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It was like they were so distracted by this real miracle thing that was going on, 
And God just wanted them to understand. He hid that from them so he could really get to the heart of things and say, listen to what he's actually saying. And I think sometimes church and churchy things and spirituality and good, and it can get so distracting to us that we forget that we actually have to read the word of God and listen to the words that Jesus says and apply them to our lives. And I think if, if there's anything that God would want to say to us today, if there's three words he would say, it is listen to Jesus. Don't just read the words as some, some good reading or some good book or some, some of us even look at it as a good history book. This is the living, breathing word of God. And Jesus is that word. And we have it here in, in print, but it's not just red letters. It is alive and breathing. And when we apply it to our lives and actually adhere to the wonderful counselor's words, we become useful in God's kingdom. And we become the best version of us while we're here. This is so important. I look back on life and I, I see defining moments in my life, moments where there were major redirects, moments where it could have gone either way. Um, and I, I remember every single one of those moments. There are three that I remember very specifically that I heard God's voice. Uh, but I got close enough to hear him. I got close, removed the distractions and said, God, I, I need to hear you. And he is diligent in speaking. And it was in those moments where after I listened and heard, it almost was audible, but it was, it was deep in my spirit, and I knew his voice. And my life began to shift and change. Why? Because I listened to him. Am I perfect at it? Man, I wish I could be better. But if you get close to him, he will speak, and you have the opportunity to listen. Now, maybe for some of you, you, you look and you say, Pastor Ryan, that sounds great and everything, but I've never heard the voice of God. In fact, I hear some people say, you know, God doesn't speak to me much, but this one time, and then they commence to tell me about this time that they heard from God. And I, I hear people say these things, and I understand their hearts. It, it's a form of humility, it really is. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's operating in truth. Because the truth is, is that God wants to speak to you. And sometimes I don't think it's a matter of God speaking. I think it's a matter of us listening and us seeking and us getting to a place where we're close enough that we can actually hear the voice of God. The Bible says that we can't even begin to fathom the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge. So a limitless God, when it comes to what he could say to us, he's only going to pipe out a few things in your lifetime? No. God wants to speak to you every single day. He's got enough things to say to you as you have willingness to get close enough to him to listen. I think it was David that said, as long as you'll bend down to listen, I'm going to pray. I mean, there's this communication constantly. Paul told us, I think it was uh, either Paul or Peter 1 said, pray without ceasing. Like there's this communication constantly that God wants to be having with us. He doesn't make it weird or confusing or or, or, or just kind of like obscure. Listen to what, what Proverbs eight seventeen said. It said, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. He goes on to say in verse 35, those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Jesus described us like a flock, and the shepherd is coming out, and the sheep, they're going to follow the shepherd because they know what his voice sounds like. They know what his voice sounds like. You're going to follow Jesus because of this. You know his his voice. It seems kind of funny to say right now, um, but a long time ago, the telephone was a centerpiece in your living room. <laughs> it was plugged into a wall. You remember that? It was either in the living room or it was in the kitchen or maybe you were real fancy and had one in your bedroom. But whenever 
if you have kids, whenever you called the house and the kids were there, they picked up. <laughs> Even if you didn't want them to, they, they picked up the phone. And I remember one day from work, I called the house, and my oldest son, he was five at the time. That's been a long time ago. Uh, he answered the phone. Hello? And I, I said, what are you doing? And immediately he heard my voice, and he said, hey, Dad. And it was always exciting when Dad called from work. All I had to do was speak. And they knew what my voice sounded like without, without even seeing me. Why was that? Well, they know my voice because they've been close enough and have heard it enough that it's unmistakable to them. And when you draw near to God and get close and begin to get in his word and you listen to the wonderful counselor's voice, spend enough time with him, you're going to know what it sounds like. You're going to feel it down deep. When was the last time you removed the distractions enough to where you actually heard God's voice? Can, can I just say this quickly? I, I think sometimes the litany of devotions and blogs and sermons, and sometimes that can even be a distraction to where we're, we're seeking religion, goodness, but we, we don't stop long enough to actually hear the voice of God. Let me, let me clarify just a little bit more. I, I remember being about 20 years old and and Bible reading was a regimented part of my day. I knew I was supposed to read the Word of God, and I wanted to get in it. And, and I, I can remember every single day I would get home from school or before work, and during that time I would make myself some lunch in my Bible reading time. Nobody else was home. And it was about a 20 or 30-minute period of, of time every single day. And it, was, it got to the point where it was so rote I could do it in my sleep. It's good. I mean, you need the Bible. You need the Word of God. You need to have that as a discipline in your life. And I'll never forget opening it up one day and hearing the voice of God so clear in my heart say, you can read every word of this and still miss me. And I thought, you know, there are atheists whose life mission is to disprove the Bible and read it every single day, study it, and they, can, they know it inside and out. They don't know the life-giving element of that. It's not the Holy Spirit. But, but I thought to myself, just reading it isn't enough. And I think sometimes our regiment of devotions, sometimes that can even be a distraction. And God wasn't telling me, don't read my word. He was saying that, you know what, there's something deeper than just reading words on a page. And I remember closing the Bible and just, it was almost as if there was, it's like you have a, a book in front of you and, and you close the book and all of a sudden the author's in front of you. <laughs> and I remember going, just, what do you want to talk about? And just sitting there and thinking, and letting God move in my heart, and just, you'd be surprised at what God would say to you if you'd remove the distractions. So when is the last time you did that? When is the last time you got close enough to God, and still enough to Him, that you actually heard His voice so that you could listen? Because if you're going to benefit from the counsel of the wonderful counselor, then you have to hear His voice. You've got to hear His voice. So be brutally honest with Him, Listen to his voice. And number three is this. Trust. Say trust. Trust the wonderful counselor's heart. You know, I've, being a pastor, I'm in a position to counsel people. And I've sat under some great counselors pouring into me. And one thing that I've learned about good counselors is they tell you some things sometimes that are tough to hear. They, and, and every bit of it is useless <laughs> until 
you trust that what the person's telling you is from their heart and they have your best interest in mind. And you know what? I trust the fact that this person is, is telling me something that is actually going to benefit me, even if it hurts a little bit or a lot in the short term. Without trust, great counsel is just words that have no impact in my life. I need to say that again and maybe give it a little context. Without trusting in the heart of God, his voice to you will be nothing more than just words that have no impact in your life. You actually have to trust that what he's saying is for your good. In John chapter 6, Jesus, he's giving one of these difficult teachings to hear. It was difficult to hear. He had just done this great miracle. I mean, he took like literally five cheap loaves of bread, two fish, multiplied it, fed thousands and thousands of people. Most scholars say that there were upwards of 20,000 people there. And Jesus has got this huge crowd. Well, it happens. He feeds them. And then the next day they wake up and Jesus isn't there and they find him and, and they want, they want breakfast. So they catch up with Jesus, and instead of giving them that, he decides to focus on their real deeper need, and that was the need for a Savior. That was the need that they had to know him because he didn't just come to feed them a physical meal. He came for a relationship with them, for them to, to know him on a deep level and not just seeking the stuff that he provides. Large crowds, they often gathered around Jesus because of some of the things he was doing. And when the crowds got the biggest, and this was no exception, when the crowds got the biggest, Jesus didn't revel in the fame of it, but he, he was unapologetic about saying really sometimes strange things to expose the motives of why, why people were really there. Were they there just to get the healing? Were they there just to get the stuff, just to have their needs met? Or were they there to truly get to know him, to honor him, and to trust him? So he did that here. And so instead of giving them what they thought they needed, which was a physical meal, they said, hey, we want some more of that great bread you did yesterday. Jesus looks at them in verse 35 and says, I'm the bread of life. And, and they heard him and like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really nice. Hey, speaking of bread, why don't you do that little thing you did yesterday, you know, where you took the bread and the, the, the fish and you, that was really good. I mean, they had a material need. They were hungry. But Jesus, is already, he's already told them in verse 27, look, don't work for food that perishes, but instead work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And that was a term, Son of Man, that he used for himself. Back to that verse 35, he said, I, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so they've got this need, they've got this physical need in there. They're wanting that need to be met, and Jesus is telling them something that they don't even want to hear. And I think sometimes in the middle of our material need, Jesus sometimes, he'll, he'll cut to the heart of why we're really there. Are we there just to have the need met? Because some of us right now are in need. We have things in our lives right now that we're praying for, clarity that we need. God, I need you to show me my next step. I, I want you to help meet this need that I have. I want you to move in this person's heart. We, we all know the needs we have, and we're very good at articulating the need, the material, the physical, the emotional need to Jesus. And there are times where he won't answer the need like you thought he was going to answer it. He, instead, he will get you into a moment like only a great counselor that's beyond words will do, and he'll ask you some questions, and you'll get to a place where you'll start to notice that he's not meeting the need like I thought he was. And it's in that moment where he's trying to get you to see, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the best for you. 
But right now, I need you to trust my heart. Right now, I want you to, to know me. Right now, I want you to get to a place where you honor me. Whether I ever meet this, this need or not, I can, I can promise the story's not over, and I can promise whether it ends up like you think it was going to or not. I've got your best in mind. I, I know the mind of God the Father. I am the wonderful counselor. But I'm more interested in you knowing me than I am you seeing your, what you think your needs are being met. And so he told this crowd this, and this was their response in verse 41. It says, so they grumbled about him. <laughs> because he said, I'm, I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven. I'm, they grumbled. Don't we do that sometimes? It's not looking like we thought it was. So what's up, Jesus? What's up? And they, they grumbled about him. This was tough. They didn't want to know his heart, but forget trusting his heart. They just wanted the food. They, they just wanted that need to be met. It was a tough teaching to hear. I mean, you're the bread of life. We just need bread. Like, literally, I need this amount of money by next week, or I'm not going to be able to pay my electrical bill. You're the bread of life. What am I supposed to do with that? And what he's saying is, I want you to trust me. I, I literally want you to trust my heart. And it's just a weird thing. They're saying, I, I need sustenance. I need food. And Jesus is saying, I am that food. And, and they literally <laughs> didn't know what to do with that. What was he talking about? Well, in verse 51, he says, I'm, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And man, at that, they just didn't know what to do with it. But what he was trying to tell them is, you know what? You may be hungry for real food, but your, your deepest need, our deepest need today is a Savior to save us from our sins. And not just that, but to know him, to trust him, to be in relationship with him. He's talking about accepting his broken body, his flesh, as a sacrifice for our sins and his blood that was spilt. Um, let me just make a connection here. Why do you think when we take communion that we eat the bread wafer? As stale as it is, <laughs> Right? Why do you think we drink the juice? It's because we're saying once again, we accept your sacrifice for us, and we are trusting your heart. We trust you. And as hard as that was for them to hear, and as hard as sometimes it is for us to hear today, Jesus never apologized about anything he said. He stood flat-footed and said it, and I said, I want you to trust me, even when it seems difficult to understand. And right in the middle of what they thought they needed most, it was so difficult to hear Jesus offer something else. Have, have you ever been in a place in life where you're wanting God to meet your need and, and maybe even he promised to meet your need and, and you know this, but your current circumstances in life look nothing like he promised? And Jesus is saying to you, I want you to trust my heart. It can be one of the most painful things to endure, knowing that God has promised me something, knowing that I, I know what his word says. I know what the prophet said. I, I know he's going to come through for me, but my current situation, man, my need isn't being met. I need you to come through for me, God. And Jesus is saying to you, it's not over, but he might just be trying to get you to a place in that, in that counseling room, if you will, where the distractions are gone. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to trust my heart in this. He said it to them, and he's saying it to you today. He's the same wonderful counselor 
back then as he is today. And he's speaking to you right now and he's saying, I've got this and I want you to trust my heart. What are you going to do with that? I can tell you what the crowd did back then. They, they looked at him in verse 66. It says, after Jesus said these things, many of the disciples, they turned back and no longer walked with him. They quit. Now, these are people that had been following him around, maybe even proclaiming to be associated with him a little bit. Not talking about the 12 disciples. We're talking about the thousands that follow Jesus. Disciple just means students. And they were, they were following. They were like, you know what? This is too difficult. This has got to be the, I've heard you say some crazy things, Jesus, but this has got to be the craziest. Let's go find the McDonald's, boys. The McRib is back. <laughs> and they walked away. And man, this had to be painful for Jesus. I want you to think about this for a minute because he's not just some lofty God. He, he, he associates with you. He knows what you're going through. This was a, a rejection for Jesus. The crowd was the biggest. And instead of reveling in that and trying to put on a front like we would do, whoa, this is cool. This is Jesus takes out his heart and he hands it to them and says, this is what I'm really about. And he knew they weren't going to understand it all. But he was saying, it's like that honest thing. This is where I'm at, guys. And I know you thought I was going to do this great miracle like I did before. And if you just trust my heart, you're going to see that this is going to work out exactly like you want it to. And they looked at that and they said, we have too many questions. That sounds too stupid. We're, we're walking out. And it, it hurt. I can't imagine the pain he must have felt. It got so bad, in fact, he looked at the 12 disciples. These are the guys that had given their lives for him. By the way, Levi, that guy I told you before, he's one of them. God changed his life. He's one of the 12. And Jesus looks at them and he says, do you guys want to go too? I mean, could have been, what could have been that painful that he actually turns to his 12 disciples and says, do you want to leave me too? And, and I love the response. Peter, he, he speaks up. He was one of the three that was on the mountain that day when Jesus was transfigured and God said, listen to him. Peter, he, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And I love this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because he, he's not saying, well, there's no better option, so I guess we'll just stick with you. He, he was saying, God, even when it's not popular, even when we don't always understand it, even when we're in the midst of severe opposition, well, look at what it says next. He says, you have the words of eternal life, and we've believed, and now beyond that, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you find yourself saying that in the midst of your questions when your, the answers to your prayers aren't happening like you thought they would? Jesus, we don't understand it all, but we trust your heart. We know that you get us. He says, we believed and we've come to know. Do you know that when you believe something, it precedes you knowing something way down deep? You can live your whole life and never really see the, the results, but you know that you know that you know that you know that God is real. You know that you know that you know that Jesus died for your sins. You know that you know that you're not the same as you were before. You know that you know that you know. Where does that start? It starts by saying, I believe this, even when I don't understand it. And that will precede you getting to a place where you eventually know it. And Peter said that. Do, do you want to get the benefit out of having a wonderful counselor? Because, again, he's not, it's not just a name on a billboard. It's not just a name that we sling around this time of year. Guys, this is, this is the living God. This is who he is. And he's available to you. 
as you walk out this life that sometimes can be pretty painful, if I'm honest. We all know that to be true. Do you want the benefit of having the wonderful counselor that's too good for words in your life? Then trust him. Listen to him. And let me just add this with it. Obey him. And let him take you to a place where you can be brutally honest with him and deal with yourself. I'm so glad this season isn't just about celebrating something that happened in the past. But I'm I'm so glad it's about reminding us that we have a wonderful and able counselor, too good for words. And he's ready to meet you right now in your time of need. Would you trust him? Let's pray before before we go. God, what a time. Lord, to be able to come to you with our questions, with our, with our curiosities, with our pain, with, Lord, with all these things that we have that are so uncertain. But, Lord, we also want to bring, that, bring with that faith. And I, I love that, that you said with a grain, like a faith of a, the size of a mustard seed, this small little thing, that so, such big things could happen. And, and I think that needs to resonate with some of us in the room, maybe listening online right now. We don't have to get to a place where we're good enough. Lord, you take the faith that we have, and sometimes it comes with the pain that we're, we're carrying. And I just pray right now, I just kind of envision this, this, this picture in my head of us just dumping all of our junk at the feet of Jesus along with that faith that we have. It's not just faith. It's faith with, with questions. It's faith with pain. It's faith with, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but we just lay it at your feet. Wonderful counselor. And we just want to be honest with you and say, this is, this is who I am. I'm not proud of all of it, but this is where I'm at. I don't want to live in denial anymore. And I want to hear your voice. I want you to give me my next step. Psalm 119, your word, it's a, it's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Isaiah describes it as there's someone that's tapping us on the shoulder saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Lord, we give us our next step. We want to hear your voice. And when you give us that next step, oh, give us the boldness in that moment to trust your heart. We, we read the story. We watch the crowd walk away. We don't want to do that. We want to be like Peter that says, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. In the humiliation of all this and the pain of all of it and the, and the anxiety of all of it that I feel humanly, I trust your heart, Jesus. Show us what to do next, wonderful counselor. Let us see you not just as a historical figure, and I go with my heart here, and and, and not just the Savior that came and died and, and left, but you're here with us to help us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, wonderful counselor, guide us. Let us take the benefit of what you say and apply it to our lives. Maybe some of you today are, are saying, you know what, my deepest need right now is my eternity. I, I don't really don't know where I would spend eternity if I left this earth today. And that's not a question that God wants you to be confused about. In fact, before you leave today, you can be sure of where you'd spend eternity. Just as sure as Jesus doesn't make it weird or confusing to hear his voice, 
He doesn't make it weird or confusing to give you access to the thing he came to die for. And that is your soul being washed clean, your sins being erased. And I wonder if that's you today. And I, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit's pulling at your heart right now. And if that's you listening online in the room today, I, I just wondered if you, you would respond to that and just give your life to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And as I do, I am so glad that the wonderful counselor understands you specifically and hears your heart. I'm going to say a prayer, but he's going to be listening to you. And I wonder if you, if you would echo this in your heart with me. God, I need you. You fill in the blank of what's going on in your life right now. I, I need you. I'm not perfect. And I know to be worthy of you, the standard is perfection. You're a perfect God who created a perfect heaven. And one of these days, I want to go there. But I want you, Jesus. I believe that you really came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life, and you died for me. I don't know how you did that. I believe it in faith. And I believe that you really raised from the grave and you're alive today, that you really died and spilt your blood for me, pure blood, innocent blood. And in only a way that you could fully grasp, that covered my sin. And I believe in it. And I choose today to repent, to turn, and to live for you and not for myself. We just saw this beautiful picture of that with baptism. Lord, I want to I live clean like that. All my sins washed away. So I choose you. And I know while I live on this earth, I still have questions and, 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 and pain. But, Lord, I believe one day I'm going to see you face to face. And when you see me face to face, I'm going to be perfectly clean and worthy of you because of the perfectly clean and worthiness of Jesus Christ the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we say amen together?